You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Yeah, I'm, I don't know, dude. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I'm trying to be a wise man. We get a, you know, we need to have a woman's opinion because that's usually the better opinion, right? What do you think? I don't know. You don't know? I'm sorry. We'll we'll just we'll deal with this later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sure. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. It'll be okay. I mean, I don't think anything's going to fall on anybody or anything, so I think we'll be okay. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. So, anyways, how many of you found yourselves looking up there with us? Yeah, most of you. Yeah, as would have I if I was sitting out there with you. Well, there was really nothing up there. It was just really a ploy for a sermon illustration. So I'll just be honest with you up front right now. I'll confess that we were trying to trick you. <sighs> Sorry. Not really. <laughs> but have you ever been duped into something like that? So I had a friend in high school and college, one of my dearest friends even to this day, and we would be hanging out in high school. Back then, we'd go to the mall and hang out, okay? So I'm aging myself here, obviously. Um, we would go to the mall and hang out, and we'd be walking along in a group of three, four, five, six of us, however many were able to go, it was at Fayetteville, in Ar- Fayetteville, Arkansas. There's the only mall in the area, unless you went up to Joplin. And back then, you didn't go to Joplin. Uh, <laughs> at least we didn't. No offense. Today, that's where I go instead of to Northwest Arkansas. But we would be walking, and all of a sudden, he'd stop, and he'd just go. And he'd, he would play this for 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes. We're like, dude, quit. Come on. And he'd just be like, and before long, there'd be a crowd of people that would stop and like wondering what he's looking at. And about the time the crowd would get big enough, he'd sneak out the back and we'd go on. And there'd be 20, 30 people standing going, pretty soon a security guard would be like, what's going on? Do I need to report something? You know, and everybody's, and he'd do that. We'd go to Taco Bell and he'd do it at Taco Bell where you're standing in a line, like 20 people, he'd just be like, you know, and he'd get people doing that everywhere. And, and while, you know, you're in high school and lacking all of your mental faculties and uh, maybe some maturity, it was hilarious. But then when people really came to understand and realize what had happened, you know, you've got the people that are like, oh, kids, whatever, and they shrug it off. And you've got the people that are mad. They're like, I can't believe you just played that trick on me. Like, I'm really mad at you right now. And so... There were times like he'd have to talk himself out of being in a fight when he would do this, and if he was still especially in the area. The point of this illustration is that there are many things that we can allow to trick us, to trip us up, to dupe us into believing something that is false or not true. In fact, National Geographic has... A whole show, I don't know if they're still doing new episodes or not, but it's a show that my boys have watched off and on called Brain Games, 
where they study the mind and they study, and it seems like more often than not, the episodes are about uh, how we can be so easily tricked. To play tricks on the mind, whether it's an optical illusion or, or experiments, like they did a similar type of experiment in Las Vegas where they started a line for something, like downtown Las Vegas, and like four or five people who were in on it just stood in line. And people would be like, what are you guys in line for? Like, oh man, I don't know, I've heard that we're supposed to just get in line. It's supposed to be awesome and it's going to be free. It's like a free show. And, and they just make stuff up and they just stand there. And then pretty soon to get back to people didn't even ask for why people were standing in line. They just line up. They had over 100 people in line, if I'm remembering right, standing there in line like, hey, this is awesome. And at the end of the day, they were all duped into it. This morning in our text, well, first off, disclaimer, I don't recommend going around attempting to fool people like that, okay? We have a good relationship here, right? If you're new, um, then you can be mad at me, I guess. But if you're not new, you know that my heart is not to purposely try to trick anybody or anything like that. The point is the illustration here for the sermon. So, I don't recommend doing that. So high schoolers, Colin, where are you? Yeah, you guys over here, especially, don't start trying that when you go to Joplin or Promenade or wherever you go, all right? People can actually get really mad at you. (laughs) But the point of it for this morning is to explore how easily we can be deceived, how easily we can be tricked into things. And that's what Paul is wanting to reemphasize to the Colossians. So we're in Colossians chapter 2. If you've been with us, you realize this, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to this young church that he's never got to personally visit, but he knows of them through, through Epaphras, through this young man that he discipled and has planted this church. And Paul, in our verses this morning, 8, 9, and, eight, nine, and 10, he's wanting to reemphasize and warn them about being deceived by things like that. Only it's a lot more important than just being tricked to look up at a ceiling. It has to do with eternity and whether or not you're truly following Christ or veering off the path and going the wrong way. Last week, we looked at verses 6 and 7, and I've got them on the screen, and I'll read them for you again. So then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Paul began his offensive strike against the false beliefs of the day, what we know as today as the Gnostic beliefs of the day. He laid the foundation in the first verses and chapter of this letter to the Colossians about what we need to be established in, being rooted and built up and established in Christ. He is our foundation The supremacy of Christ is our foundation in all things and for all things. Having established that, Paul goes on the offensive here and says, you've got to be rooted and built up in him just as you were taught. And it's about being overflowing with gratitude. It's just like the trees and how a root system is essential for a tree, for it to be established, to bear and produce healthy fruit or nuts or whatever kind of tree it is. Same with a building. A building is only as strong and is only going to last. doesn't matter how aesthetically pleasing to the eyes it is. If the foundation is not engineered and constructed well, 
the building will not last, it will not stand. And this is the same thing with our lives. We can look on the outside like we're doing all the right things, like we're careful with the words we say, like careful with what we watch, or careful with what we do, or we show up and serve and do things like that. All great things. But if we're not rooted and established and built up in Christ, that being our foundation, those good things are nothing. They're going to last. They're not going to last. And if we're not fully established with our relationship settled with Jesus Christ as Him as our Lord and Savior, someday we will be one of those that get to heaven and Christ will stand there and have to tell us, I never knew you, even though you say you did all these things in my name. That relationship with Him is primary. It's foundational. It's our root system. And so this morning, we're moving on to verses 8 through 10. Would you mind to stand with me if you're willing and able? Stand with me. We'll read these together. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. The English language, as I have said countless times, does a huge disservice to the imagery and what the original language communicates to us. And so once again, in our text today, I'm going to try to bring some of that original language and the imagery back up to the front so that we can see that and fully appreciate what Paul's trying to say. In this passage, this portraying a cargo ship, if you will. And so the imagery of the words is basically saying that we're like a cargo ship. Our hearts and our souls are like the empty belly of a cargo ship, completely empty. And that cargo ship is only has purpose and meaning if it's filled with Christ. So the cargo, if you will, okay? And if it's anything else, it's considered empty. So for a ship to be traveling anywhere with any kind of an empty cargo hold, that trip would be meaningless. So the, the time it would take back then, of course, they're not wasting fuel, but the amount of time, months, weeks, sometimes year, depending on how far they were going, that trip would be completely wasted if that cargo hold was not full. All of that time, all that energy, all that effort, all the repairs required for the ship after that journey, the storms to endure, all the food required to feed the crew and different things would be a wasted trip without that cargo being empty. And Paul is basically saying that that's like us. Our lives are almost like a wasted trip by a cargo ship if it's not filled with Christ. By the way, that's what gives us meaning and purpose. Christ. Our relationship with Him. It's why Tom Brady of the New England Patriots can have five Super Bowl rings and however many MVPs, all the money and a supermodel wife, and still go, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's why a guy like Kanye West, who had everything in the hip-hop world here recently, who has proclaimed Christ. 
I don't know what you believe about that, but my opinion is praise God. Let's pray for him that he continues in his faith. Let's allow God to use it. What an amazing platform that he could have to communicate the gospel to a world that was listening to his music before that are now going to be introduced to the gospel. By the way, I have listened to some of his new songs and it's more theologically accurate than some of the things that we listen to in our so-called Christian radios. You may not like rap, that's okay. But the content of what he's saying is true and good. And so it's why the people who seem to have everything are still lost and still empty and still searching. They're still broken, lost people without Christ, just like you and me. Regardless of our bank accounts, regardless of whether we're known by the world all over or just this community, Christ is what matters. Christ is what fills us up and what gives us purpose, just like a ship taking cargo to its port. So Paul is wanting this church to understand this, to see that, to give this imagery to them. And so as we dive into our passage this morning, we're going to look at it through three different lenses. Okay, three lenses are this, a warning, instruction, and then a reminder. Okay, a warning, instruction, and then a reminder. First, the warning, verse 8. Paul is warning the Colossians here to be be aware of those empty, deceitful, dangerous, false beliefs of the, of the day. The empty cargo that's going to make their lives and their trips worthless. We have those beliefs all around us in this world. All you got to do is get on social media. All you got to do is turn on television. Commercials are false gospel beliefs telling you you're not happy without this cheeseburger or you're not happy without this clothing item or you're not this happy without this robot that vacuums the floor for you while you're gone at work all day telling us all of these things and we're about to be bombarded with even more messages going into the holiday season they're everywhere and what amazes me is how one person can get on the internet make some post or some blog entry, and everybody goes, oh, maybe they're right. Forgoing the truth of God's word that has been established and proven for ages. But how quickly we can be deceived in that. See, I believe that there are two quick ways to determine if a message that we're being told or what we're reading about is false. If it's a religion or a belief system. First off, what a belief a religion says or does not say about Christ. Who do they say or what do they say about Jesus Christ or what do they not say? Okay, that's, that's tip number one to keep in mind. What are they really saying or not saying about Jesus Christ? So there's some cult-like religions, even in our community, in our area, that are very close they're very close. They use most of this, but they pick and choose parts and leave them out. Or they add their own stuff. They say Christ is lesser than being fully God and fully man, focusing more on one or focusing more on the other. And so we have to be aware and be careful. The second thing is this, the origination of that belief. Is it based on an idea or philosophy from a man or a woman? 
Is it based on them? There's a lot of other belief systems and cults out there that originate from one single person in a cave or some vision that one person had. And anytime you see that or hear that, start scratching your head and going, really? How can I take the word of that one person fully and completely? When it comes to Christ, there was over multiple, 40 plus more, I forget how many exactly, but many, many authors that wrote scripture, many, many prophets throughout the years, many, many disciples, many, many eyewitnesses that saw Christ, not only while he was alive and his crucifixion, but also rose again, that witnessed him doing miracles, that witnessed it. Not one, many. So Paul wanting to make sure this young church in Colossae is not only rooted and built up in Christ, as we looked at last week, but also armed with what to watch out for, the philosophy an empty deceit based on human traditions, based on the elements of the world. And this same warning holds true for us today. In a world where there's, we have access to more information in our fingertips, through our phones, in this room right now, than Paul probably did in the whole world that was written down when he wrote this. I mean, there's more technology on a phone in our pocket than what they sent the first rocket to outer space on. It's just mind-boggling. Paul goes on to bring truly, he, he goes on to bring additional meaning of the warning in this verse. And so here we're going to dive in a little bit more with the Greek language. Again, reminding you that Paul did not write this letter on his own. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It can be backed up within the context of Scripture. Verse 8, Paul says and warns us to be careful in the CSB version of which I'm teaching out of today. The depth of what he's actually saying in the original language is this. To see to it, to perceive, to discover by use, to know by experience. That says a lot more than just be careful to me. To see to it, to know by experience, to perceive, to discover by use. Again, handling the truth of the gospel, of God's word. When we are handling with Again, using the teller illustration, using true money so that when the counterfeit bill comes through, you know the difference. You can tell it, you can feel it, you can smell it, and there's additional tests that they take to go on beyond that. But that is so true for us. We don't have to know and understand every single world religion out there. We do need to know and understand God's word and the truth of his gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and his supremacy. So we need to see to it. We need to perceive, discover by use, to know by experience. This is not a casual or flippant comment. It's like, hey, watch out. Be careful. You know, kind of like you'd say about somebody who's about to trip on something and then really secretly down inside, you're like, I kind of hope they trip because they'll be hilarious. It's not like that, okay? If you're one of those people like me, we should all have a confession later on about not loving our fellow man and woman as much as we should. We can do that right up front here afterward. But... In the meantime, Paul is not saying that. It's not casual or flippant. It's not insinuating that they could watch out for it if they felt like it. When you flip on that TV, do you have your guards on? 
Do you have on the full armor of God? When you pull up your social media account, are you prayed up, not knowing what's going to cross that feed? When you open the newspaper, when you flip on the radio, even Christian stations, is your guard up? This is not a flippant comment when you feel like it. This is be careful, watch out. Just like a soldier who trains for war, hoping the day never comes that they actually have to go to war. But you train nonstop, relentlessly, consistently, so that if the day comes, you're ready. And we treat our Christian lives and our faith like it's more like a hobby. Like, oh, it's hunting season. I'm going to get out my Bible and I'm going to get out my journal and I'll take some notes here. Cool, now it's over. And yet it's 24-7 every day. Are we as casual about our faith as we are about our hobbies? As opposed to, say, eating We don't forget to eat very often. We don't forget to drink. Our bodies remind us and tell us. Our bodies tell us it's got to sleep. Do we have that same kind of intentionality and alarm system in our faith and spending time in the Word and in prayer and meeting together? Does it ache? Do you ache when you can't meet regularly with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Moving on, following this be careful, that means so much more than just be careful. The word captive has an additional meaning into it. It means loot or spoil being carried off. As, another, as if it was laying around, unguarded, able to just be snatched and walked away with. Unfortunately, in our county, that happens a lot around here, it seems like. Things left laying around or unguarded or not locked up seem to wander off. Is our belief system the same way? Is our faith the same way? We leave it unguarded and we flip on the TV or we open up the computer or we get on our phones or we drive down the road or we flip on the radio or even visiting with friends that you know don't believe the same way that you do. And we go into it like... We just left out our prized possession on the front lawn for anybody to walk off with. I'd like to present a further explanation of this verse using my translation from the original Greek language. See to it and know by experience how not to be unguarded and passive when it comes to false teaching and beliefs from man. See to it and know by experience how not to be unguarded and passive when it comes to false teaching and beliefs from man. Do you hear and sense and see Paul's passionate plea to this young church to not let their faith be unguarded, easily carried off, easily led astray, and for us today, that we would not be so easily seduced and led astray by anything other than Christ. 
And at the root of it all, the elements of the world there is actually referencing and referring to demonic influence. Because really it boils down to you're either for Christ or against him. There's no passive getting by. If you're in this passive getting by, treating your faith like a hobby, well, guess what? You're more against him than you are for him. I love you, so I have to tell you the truth of this. You're either for him or you're not. And we live it out every day. Ephesians 6.12 tells us our battle and struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces. So our battle is not against Joseph Smith or some philosopher or, you know, fill in the blank of those who have come up with other religions and, and belief systems or it's not against Walmart because they're pushing Christmas on us the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> it is, Tony. <laughs> Tony can say that because he used to work there. <laughs> but it's actually against Satan, deceiving those who do not follow Christ and then following him blindly, being carried off like loot and spoil. Is there anything in your life you can think of this morning that is communicating a false belief, an empty, deceitful philosophy into your life? Now, I am not saying that if you are questioning your faith at this moment and you are on a journey, you are intentionally pursuing what your faith looks like, the meaning and truth of Scripture, Did Christ really exist? Is he really the Savior? If you are on that journey, I commend you because you are wrestling with it and you are pursuing it and you're working out. And I'm not worried. I'm not worried what you're going to find at the end of that journey because God has got it. And I know that with confidence that you will come to the place that if you're truly pursuing it with the right heart and the right means, you'll come to the place of what the truth is. And I'm confident in that. So I don't have to be nervous that you're exploring that right now. But are you a believer and know you're a believer? And yet you choose to engage in and or watch things or do things that give you false beliefs. How many shows do we regularly watch that promote, hey, it's cool to hook up before you're married. No big. No big deal. It's what you do. It's like going out and getting a pizza anymore. How many shows do we watch that promote evolution versus creation? How many shows do we watch and promote that says, hey, you be you, it's all about you, instead of become more like Christ? Am I saying to never watch these things? I'm not saying that. I am saying to be careful how much and to be very guarded when we do. Moving on here. We more consumed 
with the Creator than that which is created. Reading is good, but there are lots of books out there that give us a false message, including ones that are proclaimed Christians and spiritual leaders. We must be careful. We must always have our guard up and we must always look at it through the lens and the context of Scripture to know if it's true. What does it say? What do they say about Christ? What are they not saying about Christ? And did a man or a woman come up with it versus God? Second point here, the second lens, instruction. We're going to move a little bit quicker here. All of what we believe and are to fill ourselves with should be based on Jesus Christ, as it says in verses 9 and 10. If we are filled with Christ, there is no room inside the cargo holds of our belief system to be deceived by man's philosophy or empty deceit. And again, reemphasizing the continual handling of the truth of God's word. I would wager that most of us, me included, on a lot of weeks, spend a lot more time on other things than on prayer and studying of this word. And what it boils down to is what we believe is most important to us. That's what it is. If you think you're too busy to pray and be in the Word, what are you busy with? Netflix? That's more important to you then. Your job? Well, we do have to work, but all those extra overtime hours, is that more important to you than knowing Christ and your, as your Lord and Savior better and more fully? Even school? Hobbies? I'm just saying, again, the truth. What's more important to us is what we will spend our time doing. So Paul's instructing them, instructing us to be filled with Christ. It doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen because we're sitting by our Bible or we lay our Bible on our head and it just soaks in eventually. It happens because we're intentional in our prayer life. We're intentional in studying the Word. We're intentional about meeting together and encouraging one another as we worship God and serve him. Now, I want to take a moment here. It's on the back of your communicator. And I do have a couple slides, but instead of you having to jot all this down, if you're, if you're a little bit of a nerd about this stuff like I am, then you've got it and you can take it home with you. But as a part of this section on instruction, I want to address the deity of Christ. Okay? Because you may be sitting there, if you're on a journey about your faith or you don't know, it's like, well, really? He's just some guy. What makes him so special? How do we even know that he really lived and walked the earth as there are beliefs out there? So you can follow along in the back of your communicator, look up at the screen or both. But I believe that there are three primary sources of evidence proving that Jesus Christ was not only born and lived here on earth as a man, but that he was also fully God. Okay? First off, ancient non-Christian historical evidence. I'm not going to try to pronounce the names here. You can look them up. But these are ancient historical evidence written by these guys affirming that Christ was here on earth and evidence of his deity as far as miracles and his resurrection. Okay? This is a source that's non-Christian. Second, ancient Jewish historical evidence. Well, why does that matter? I mean, Jewish is kind of the same thing. No, 
They're the ones who were so anti-Christ, they wanted him on the cross. Most of these accounts here, these three listed, are anti-Christian, and yet they still affirm much of the accuracy of Jesus Christ's life, even though they attempted to discredit him. Josephus, the Jewish Talmud, the Toledot Yeshu. And again, look at the dates on all these. I mean, right after Christ was here on earth, up to about 30, somewhere between 32 and 35 AD is about when he ascended into, back up into heaven. And then, of course, there's the scriptural evidence. And though we don't have time to go into all the evidence and accuracy and relevance of the Bible this morning on top of this, I can assure you, look it up if you don't believe me, but I can assure you there is actually more archaeological, historical, Christian and non-Christian evidence for the accuracy of the Word of God in the Scripture promoting that it's accurate today what we have from what was originally written than any other piece of literature ever in the world that we have by far. By far. Complete from when it was written after the accounts and to number of copies and to number of sources. The next closest was written 120 plus years after the events it recorded. And there's one copy. We take our history books in schools and give them more credit than we do the Word of God. And there's actually more evidence for God's Word in its accuracy than our history books in schools that we use today. Although I know most schools aren't teaching history anymore, but that's a whole other topic. Jesus said he was God. And there are your scripture verses. Jesus demonstrated God's nature. Again, there's your references. Jesus was worshipped as God by those who encountered him, both who believed in him at the moment and believed in him afterward. And then Jesus fulfilled Old Testament messianic prophecies. Prophecies, by the way, that were over 400 years before he showed up, every single one of them coming true. And yet, we can believe a commercial or we can believe a blog post about somebody saying, I don't think there's a God that exists. Show me your proof. I can show you mine. There is more evidence for the full deity and also humanity of Jesus Christ, that he was the Savior of the Lord, that he was born, lived, died and rose again to save us than there is that put most people on death row. And yet, we can be tripped up so easily. We can think that we know for a fact who assassinated Martin Luther King or JFK. And there's less evidence for that than this. Or we can believe that we know that O.J. Simpson was really guilty or innocent. And there's more evidence for this. See to it and know by experience how not to be unguarded and passive when it comes to false teaching and beliefs from man rather than Christ. Our third lens, the reminder Look again at verses 9 and 10. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. If the Colossians or anyone else 
for that matter, had any point of question about the deity of Jesus Christ as well as his humanity, Paul, in one single verse, verse 9, bolds it, underlines it, exclamation points it, and says, period. The entire fullness of God's nature, character, will, power of God dwells fully in the bodily, the human body of Jesus Christ. Done. Jesus Christ was entirely and completely filled with the fullness of God. He was also fully wrapped in flesh, thus able to experience the emotions that we feel, thus enduring the temptations that we endure, and yet he overcame. As we sang about in our living hope, he overcame to take on the guilt of our sin. He took on the shame of our sin so that we can stand before God and him look at us, and him not be ashamed of us. If you grew up in a home, or if you've been told in your life that you're not worth it, or that you were stupid, or that you're worthless, think about that for a second. God sent his son for you. You were worth his son, the son of God, going to the cross to save you. You are not ashamed before him. You are loved by him. What a reminder. One commentator put it more elegantly than I can. He says this, The, the essence of God, undivided and in its whole fullness, dwells in Christ in his exalted state so that he is the essence and adequate image of God. And then to top it all off, those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord, we are filled up with him. Our lives, our trips as cargo ships, if you will, have purpose and meaning. And as we do, as we endure trials of this life and suffering that will come, it's not wasted. It has purpose. It has meaning. And as we love him, and as we fulfill the calling and purpose that he gave us in his life, and we love others around us along the way, sharing this hope. Do you know somebody who needs to hear that? That needs to hear that the God who gives them breath, loves them, that he's not ashamed of them. He made them in his image. We live in a community full of them. That we would go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Our mission statement, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Or the acronym that I call it the GC squared life, the great commandment and the great commission. And we are reminded that God is, control, is in control over all things. There in verse 10, Christ is head over every ruler and authority. What a great reminder coming into this election season. <laughs> this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper. We have the elements set up in the four corners of the room. So if you're new with us, that's how we do it. We all get up and go get the elements.
But a couple of reminders about it, because I feel like this is, what a great morning to celebrate this on. God's timing is perfect about being filled up with him. So let's celebrate and be, do remind us our hearts of the symbol of the Lord's Supper, of his body and his blood. And so there's two requirements that we have around here for you to participate in communion. It has nothing to do with you being a member here. It has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. If he's your Lord and your Savior, you are welcome. And if you are a repentant believer, if you are living in sin and you know it, if you know that you are living in sin and you're unrepentant about it, meaning you're not struggling against it anymore, you're like, whatever, it's just what it is. It is what it is. I'm sorry, but scripturally, I can't see where that's okay. And I've got verses listed on the screen if you want to look it up and check me on it. The great news is, is you can confess that sin right now. And he's waiting. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're liking what you're hearing about him and who he is, you can also do that right now and participate today with us in Holy Communion. So let me pray for us. And after I finish praying, if you want to just make your way uh, to the elements, there's wafers and juice in each corner. So whatever one's closest to you. And then come back together and we'll take them together and then I'll wrap up our teaching time shortly after that. Father, as we transition to this time and the reminder of being filled with you through this sacramental element that you've given your church, that you did with your disciples on the eve of your death. Reminding us to participate in and do so regularly with other believers. In your name, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would delay and wait no longer. They would choose you. With the realization and understanding that this life it's hard. And the attempts of trying to do good, the attempts of trying to find purpose and meaning are futile without you. But you made a way through your death on the cross because you lived a sinless life in our place that we could never live. And you rose again, defeating death, making a way to reconcile us to God. Because when he looks at us, not that we don't sin anymore, but when he looks at us, he sees your blood and he sees you standing in our place and will be no longer ashamed of us and lord if there's anybody here who already knows you as their savior but they they continue to make that choice in unrepentant sin god i would ask that you would prick their heart not out of guilt but out of the desire to love you more fully a desire to know you better. And as that grows and manifests in their lives and our lives, Lord, that, God, that then it would spill out as we love others. As we love you more, Lord, we can't help but love what you love 